0: How you guys doing? Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to the Nick Wilson Show.
1: Sounds like a typical bastard. So we got one ear, right
0: What's going on in Nick Wilson's mind?
1: My mind is a raging torrent flooded with rivulets of thought. You're about to find out. Ooh, look who knows so
0: much. Nick Wilson is on now. Sports Radio 92.7 FNC, the final ride begins. Welcome into the Nick Wilson Show. Five shows left of the Nick Wilson Show in Charlotte. If you guys missed the big announcement on Friday, it's my final week on the station. And what a week we have for you. What a show we have for you. My guy, your guy. Charlotte's Guy, Charlotte uh, FC play-by-play man Willie P joins us in about 40 minutes here. We also have Carlin Gay. Let's Carlin Gay and get it on Sports Radio, Sports News. In the Sporting News, he'll be joining us for some NBA talk at 11:20. Bobby Regan of Barstool Sports in the Bench Mob podcast at 11:20. And uh, as I've said, this is uh day 1 of the final ride. Or if we want to do a countdown, day five, and then tomorrow will be day four. Listen, that could be really, can really, really confusing. So I know I've got a agitated Mets fan on the board today. Itty bitty fitty's with us as he always is. But how are we feeling, given the gravity of last week for the Carolina Panthers? How are we feeling that now that we have a little bit of distance between the Baker Mayfield trade? Have you come around on it? Have you leveled off? If you're like me and maybe incredibly hyped about this move and what it means for the Carolina Panthers, have maybe you leveled off on it? Because I continue to have a really good feeling about, as you know what, let me, let me paraphrase this, or let me rephrase this. I have as good a feeling as you can possibly have uh, about a, about an organization in the situation that the Panthers are in. Year three of Matt Rule, the first two years were uh, 10, 10 wins in two years, completely overhauled staff of really NFL journeyman coaches. I'm about as good, I I feel about as good going into year three of Matt Rule as I possibly can. But there was an interesting angle. And Joe Person shared this with us when he joined us last week. And he was a little bit more definitive when he was on the herd talking about who was the last holdout on the Baker Mayfield trade.
1: From what I'm reading here that uh, the Browns general manager And the Carolina general manager, they kind of had a deal, but the owner's like, I'm not giving up much for Baker Mayfield. So that's my interpretation of what I read. Is that true? Yeah, that's right on the money. David Tepper, despite being the NFL's richest owner, worth $16.7 billion, he did not want to lose the negotiations, lose the deal, so to speak. Uh, in, in part because he, he I, I think he very correctly and astutely figured out the Panthers were bidding against themselves.
0: Yeah. I think there's a couple of really important things to note as we get into what Joe Person said with Colin Coward on the herd uh, late last week. I think the first one is the Panthers did win this deal. And I said as much last week. the The, the amount that they paid for Baker Mayfield is so low it's almost impossible to quote-unquote lose the deal. Five million dollars is a, actually below, about four and a half million dollars is a pittance for a guy who's proven to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Then you get to a fourth or fifth round pick. While in no means, or is that pick, whatever it ends up being, while in no means is that a, a throwaway pick, right? Smart NFL teams value, draft picks, I think the Carolina Panthers have not been able to show you how much they value draft picks because they've been working from a deficit, whether it was because of the Sam Darnold trade, whether it was because of of other moves that had been, been made in that first year where they only had six or seven picks at the time. So I say that to say, I totally am here to say that the Panthers won the trade. But I think it's interesting, and it's almost impossible to lose this trade. I think, I think the most likely loser of this trade is going to be the Cleveland Browns. Because if week one, it's Jacoby Brissett versus Baker Mayfield, and Baker Mayfield, with a chip on his shoulder, goes out there and throws for 275 yards and three touchdowns, and the Panthers win by 10, Cleveland will be burning. I will be on air, as a guy who wanted Baker here, saying to my fellow Clevelanders, I told you so. That the Browns should have treated Baker Mayfield better. Something we got to get into, again, is more. You guys heard from Adam the Bull on Friday show. He was pretty effusive in a negative attitude towards Baker Mayfield, things we've talked about, but specifically to the Panther side of things. Even though all of this can be true, there's still a part of me that hears Dave Tepper was the lone holdout, that he's the reason it took till July 6th, and... Man, I've got to be honest with you, it makes me nervous. One, why is this the quarterback he put his foot down with? Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback, even right now after a step back from a football season, 17 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 60% completion percentage. That, his quote-unquote worst season of the last two years, is the best season Sam Darnold's ever had. Two years ago, Baker Mayfield in Cleveland did something Sam Darnold's never done. He, he powered a team to a playoff spot and to a playoff win. So it's it's weird to me that a year ago, Dave Tepper was like, ah, sure, we'll give up a two or four to six there for uh, Sammy D. And a year later, he's put his foot down on Baker Mayfield. E- even more so. It's wild to me that the guy who's been pounding the drum to win long-term in the NFL, you need a franchise quarterback. That's Dave Tepper's own thought processes on quarterbacks. And by the way, it's not really just Dave Tepper's. It's kind of reality. It's why the Cleveland Browns went from Baker Mayfield, good quarterback, to Deshaun Watson, great quarterback. Understood. But it's wild to me that on top of Sam Darnold, who quite frankly was not a good quarterback when you traded for him, was kind of a, let's see if, let's throw crap at the wall and see if it sticks. And the year before that, he had put $60 million in the pocket of Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who, again, Baker Mayfield's worst season looks very similar to Teddy Bridgewater's best season. So this isn't, all the skies falling, this isn't necessarily automatically a bad thing. Dave Tepper's insistence on getting Baker Mayfield at the price, for some reason, he predetermined was the right price. In the end, they got the best possible deal they could have. But if the difference, and, and I, I believe, I can't remember if he said it in this piece, when Joe Person was on with uh, Colin Coward, he he did say that Matt Rule and, and Scott Fitter actually wanted Baker Mayfield in town for camps. So if the difference was paying $8 million for Baker, because it wasn't about the draft pick collateral. That, if you heard about it, that was pretty much pre-agreed upon. Maybe going as far back as to the NFL draft. This was about Dave Tepper saving $3 million. It's just a little interesting to me that in, in a moment where he's paid $63 million to Matt Rule, or that's what he'll pay him on this contract... With a team that he has, if you listen to Scott Fitterer and and Matt Rule, Dave Tepper's always asking, what do you need to succeed? What do you need to succeed? If the first six weeks of this season, Baker Mayfield struggles a little bit out of the gate, doesn't catch a rhythm until October, late October, early November, and then goes off and plays as well as I expect him to play, we're going to ask ourselves, is the early season struggles from Baker Mayfield how much of that has to do with when they acquired him? That's really interesting. And how much would you know, acquiring him a month earlier, which is what it ended up being, minicamps being about three or four weeks before the July 6th day they traded for Baker Mayfield. I one of, my, one of my personal things with Dave Tepper is, I don't think Dave Tepper has always put people in the best position to succeed. Hiring Matt Rule and... Quite frankly, not hiring a seasoned GM with him that wasn't Marty Herney um, or a guy that maybe dovetailed within the belief, basically not supporting Matt Rule enough with, with, uh, or surrounding him enough with NFL guys, I think that hurt Matt Rule in the NFL. I think allowing Marty Herney to continue on his job for one more year, knowing that Marty Herney probably wasn't going to be the long-term GM of the Carolina Panthers, I think that put Marty and the Panthers both in difficult positions, it could be something, it could be nothing. But as easy as it is to wave the Panthers flag and say, well, the Panthers won the deal. I think asking yourselves, why was this the line that Dave Tepper drew? And if that extra month could have helped Baker Mayfield, do you and I really care about the extra $3 million they saved? Because I personally, I don't care about Dave Tepper's money. I care about the decisions they make. I care about how they execute the decision. The decision, And if the difference between those that month or two months, going back to the draft, if that difference is Baker Mayfield's effectiveness early in the season, to me, the $3 million isn't worth it. Because if you put Baker behind the eight ball, that puts Matt Rule behind the eight ball. Could be something, could be nothing. Something worth thinking about. I also think it's fascinating to watch organizations move on from quarterbacks and how they completely destroy them on the way out. Uh, Adam the Bull on Friday referenced Jason Lloyd's column of the Athletic and said effectively uh, that it was it, it wasn't necessarily a hit piece, but the Browns wanted everyone to know that they thought Mayfield could be childish behind the scenes. This is the same organization. That while pursuing a guy with 24 separate civil lawsuits of sexual assault and sexual impropriety, dared leak a report that said they wanted somebody who was an adult in the room and that's why they wanted to get rid of Baker Mayfield. I don't know why teams think they can win the PR battle by bashing a guy on the way out of town. The Colts did it, too, in Indianapolis. Now, in Indianapolis, there were a hell of a lot less supporters than there were for Carson Wentz than there were in Cleveland for Baker Mayfield. But it's interesting to me that a lot of people have said, well, this isn't isn't your father's Cleveland Browns. All right, this isn't your big brothers, Cleveland Browns. This is a smart organization that uh, they're making the right decision. Much like Dave Tepper. You might have swung the trade to where it's impossible to lose the trade by saving an extra three or four million dollars. You might have. You also might have put a guy who is your most important player, your starting quarterback, behind the eight ball, trying to save three or four million dollars. And in the words of Joe Person, quote unquote, win the trade. Well, the Cleveland Browns waited as long as they could to trade Baker Mayfield, thinking that they were going to win the trade by getting a bigger uh, piece of action, whether it's not having to pay him as much, whether it's getting more draft collateral. In the end, the Cleveland Browns are getting an ass-kicking from Baker fans in Cleveland, and they held out too long. They got a fourth or fifth-round pick for a guy who a year ago Could have probably fetched you more than Sam Darnold got from the Jets at a 2, a 4, and a 6. There are absolute reasons to be concerned about optics and how things play out. And at some point, when the rubber meets the road, you have to understand that, you know, from the Cleveland side of things, you weren't winning that PR battle. From the Carolina side of things, oh, Iron Mag and Bone. I didn't hear Megan Bone today listen to the Joe uh, person thing and say, Well, why is Dave Tepper putting his foot down on this? Nope. They were they were ready to say the the Panthers had won the trade. In the end, I suppose that is all that matters. But Dave Tepper has a history of uneven ownership. It's worth keeping an eye on. 704-570-9610, what did you hear? When you heard the Joe Person piece there about Dave Tepper putting his foot down and that being really the last convert on the Baker Mayfield trade, did you hear something good about Dave Tepper? Or are you like me, a little skeptical? You can make the right trade, but the timing of trades matters too. Dave Tepper being the last holdout doesn't make me feel all that great. About the thinking for the Panthers long term. Also, I heard John Ellis was on ninety two three The Fan saying that the Panthers had made a promise, like to Matt Corral. Oh, this is only gonna be a short term thing. Uh, how about Matt Corral just learn to be an NFL quarterback, and then we worry about his feelings later. That being said, will Willie P gonna be joining us at ten forty? At eleven twenty, Carlin Gay of the Sporting News, and then at twelve twenty, Bobby Regan of Barstool joins us as well. We got a loaded show for you today. But that is the latest on Baker Mayfield. The latest in Charlotte sports. And hopefully the best of times ahead for both teams on Sports Radio. 92.7 FNZ. Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. We got a lot to get into here. We're just talking about the uh, Joe Person uh, breakdown of the financial side of the Baker Mayfield trade on the herd last week. And... It's brought in some interesting responses. Uh, Tim hates tanking, saying Tepper is more concerned about winning negotiations and deals than on the field. Part of me would like to think, well, maybe Dave Tepper saw how badly they lost the Sam Darnold deal and how uh how much that Teddy Bridgewater deal, how bad that looks in hindsight, paying him effectively thirty-three million dollars to play for somebody else after one year. Part of me part of me hopes that this is just Dave Tepper trying to learn from allowing Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer carte blanche. And let's be honest, that as much as everybody said at the time they made the Sam Darnold deal, this isn't going to set you back much, it did this year. It absolutely did. They gave up a top 40 pick for a guy who couldn't lace up Baker Mayfield's boots in Sam Darnold. That's interesting. Also, we were talking about this being uh, the my fifth to last show on Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ and TC saying, Nick, were you fired? What's up? I was not fired. No, no, no. This was, rest assured, when you're getting fired in radio, it's like going into the witness protection program, right? There is, nobody's allowed to talk about it. Uh, you're not, as a matter of fact, that happened when a few other people left the station uh, previously. You can't talk about them. You can't think about them. You can't talk about or think about talking about them. Oh uh, no! If I was fired, uh, I would uh, my my Twitter account would be silent. Uh, no, this is a great opportunity. I got a chance to go home to uh, Cleveland and uh, move my girls a little bit closer to home. So thank you for asking. I'm sure that'll be something we have to mention a couple times this week. Is the summertime's a great time for people to come and go, for you know thinking and, and paying attention to the Panthers and in, in sports and whatever. Seven zero four number saying uh, in response to the Dave temper conversation, if Matt Corral proves in camp that he's the better quarterback and the Panthers go with Baker or Sam, then shame on them. well i so I understand what Q is saying here i guess I guess the greater point is, how are you and I going to know if Matt Corral's the better player? and i here's the other thing i I would still be pretty surprised if Matt Corral was the better player, quote unquote, in camp. And the Panthers didn't start him. I think that actually is the one way that the Baker-Mayfield trade is good in terms of holding out to the last second for Baker. If Matt Corral starts week one, I'm not going to be, wherever I am, I'm not going to be saying, oh, well, that Baker-Mayfield trade was a bust. They got a good starting quarterback for $5 million in a a future, well, at that point, if he plays less than 70% of the snaps, it'd be a fifth-round pick and not a fourth-round pick. So I don't think we should go into this either thinking it's that just because Baker was traded for, it guarantees him the spot. I don't think there's going to be a quarterback competition because Sam Darnold is trash on the field. Good dude off the field. But Sam Darnold is a bad quarterback and Matt Corral's a late third round pick. And I know something everybody loves to do. This is not a Carolina specific thing. We love to overrate react to late round, or mid- to late-round quarterbacks. We did this when they drafted Will Greer. I'm sure this was done when they drafted Jimmy Clausen at the back end of the second round. We just get so quarterback horny and so quarterback thirsty that the second you draft a young guy, people, for whatever reason, gravitate towards that guy. And I totally get it. It's not the worst thing in the world, if Matt Corral doesn't play at all this year, as a matter of fact, it might be the best thing for him. And uh, I, I, my, our guy, John Ellis of one Panther place was on 92 through the fan in Cleveland. I had to bring this up because I didn't rant about this last week. Um, and he said that he had heard from a source within the organization that the, that the Panthers had made promises to Matt Corral, that the Baker thing wasn't a long-term thing and that he was still their future. That's that's showing an incredible amount of deference to a guy who might never actually take a snap in a regular season game for the Panthers. He might, right? Because here's the thing. What people love, beauty is in the eye of the beholder of a mid to late round quarterback. Because people say, well, Russell Wilson, third round pick, bro, started day one, won a Super Bowl year two. Uh, people say Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott, and all of those are valid, uh, valid players to point out. I can also point out Jared Stidham, Nathan Peterman, Will Greer, Armani Edwards, Tony Pike, uh, Colt McCoy, Cody Kessler. There are far more guys that are drafted in the second and third and fourth round and fifth round and beyond that never do diddly squat in the NFL, and even if they do get on the field, look like absolute trash. Will it be Matt Corral? The Panthers don't know. You and I don't know. But it's weird that you would go to a guy that you took with a late third-round pick. and We're so concerned about his feelings. Matt Corral, there will be a point where Matt Corral earns that kind of deference. It's not walking in the door in the NFL. He's not guaranteed anything. Baker's not guaranteed anything. Sam Darnold isn't. So the idea, and again, that's if it's true, the idea that the Panthers felt the need, that Matt Rule felt the need to have any sort of deference to a, a late third-round pick is objectively hilarious to me. In the meantime, with that being said, one of the most fascinating bets, you guys heard my playoff lock it in last week. Thursday, I waited until the very, I don't know why I did this. I waited until the last second of the show to lock in that I think the Panthers are going to be a wild card team this year. And when I say, lo- I mean, I locked it in. They will be a playoff team this year. Probably the seventh spot in the NFC, but it's doable. So I was, I thought it was interesting to hear Will Kunkel on the clubhouse on Friday give his thoughts on the playoffs and the Panthers this year.
1: Nah, I think playoffs is I, I, probably a little bit out of the realm that I have them in right now. I had them at six wins prior to Baker, so maybe seven or so seven or eight now with Baker is the high end for me, and it's still, unfortunately, that's an 8-9 record even with eight wins. And that's not, I mean, it's a tough schedule. Like, this schedule is not easy. Last year with, with Baker, this team's definitely better, and I think they actually can fight for a wild card spot. But this year, the schedule... Now again, you look at the schedule today, it could be very different in five, six months and seeing what teams are good and what teams are actually bad. But I agree with you, man. It's all about hope.
0: So let's balance it all out. Now that we can finally do this, I I actually disagree that the the schedule is problematic. I think the Panthers' early schedule is, is pretty easy. You've got Jacoby Brissett, Daniel Jones, and Jameis Winston as your first three quarterbacks you're facing. I now granted my my thoughts on Cleveland are I just it's tough for me to see it's tough for me to see that team without a full season of Deshaun Watson competing over 17 18 weeks in the AFC which is loaded but like the Giants are going to be a better team they're not a juggernaut. Daniel Jones is still ass until proven otherwise. The Saints, Jameis Winston was good last year when healthy. But like that's a, that's a team that's gotten older. They have lost some weapons. Dennis Allen is not a good head coach until proven otherwise. It's not really until Arizona, San Francisco, and the Rams, weeks four through six, that you start to get really challenged by the quality of opponent that you have. Without Deshaun Watson, I don't know the Browns are definitively better than the Carolina Panthers. Same thing with the Giants, with Daniel Jones, and the Saints, with uh, – with Teddy, with Teddy Bridger, with uh, Jameis Winston. Even more so, I think their late schedule for once favors the Panthers because you've got Seahawks, Steelers, Lions, Tampa, and Saints. Tampa's the only team I'm certain of, of those last five games that, that you should really be afraid of. So I think the first three games and the last five games of this season – Give you opportunities on both sides to either build up a little bit of a, a ground support and ground swell for a tough middle part of the season, and I think the end. If you are with five games to go, if you're a game above five hundred, or if you're right around five hundred, I think the the end of the season sets up nicely for once for Matt Rule and company to have a playoff push, and more importantly. Like the playoffs are one thing, or sorry, the schedule analysis in July is one thing. This roster's in a lot better situation. The national media overreacted to the Panthers losing Hassan Reddick and Stephon Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore was nice last year. In no way should Stephon have been a Pro Bowler. You also only got four games out of J.C. Horn. The Hassan Reddick thing's probably the bigger loss because you haven't replaced him. Here, you brought back Dante Jackson in the secondary. J.C. Horn's getting healthy. C.J. Henderson, Keith Taylor. Like, you've got some depth at the cornerback position to replace who was a nice player last year, but not maybe living up to his namesake and Stephon Gilmore. And I think that begs the question. Because in the same, I think now the Panthers can truly cherry-pick the rest of the NFL. I think Carlos Dunlop, Makes a lot of sense if they feel like he can start opposite of Brian Burns. I think a guy like Carl Nassib, who is six foot seven, two hundred and ninety pounds, could be an interesting pickup. Wasn't great the last year or two in Las Vegas, but good against the run and a guy who has had as much as seven and a half, eight sacks uh, uh, previously when he was in Tampa Bay. If if our biggest question. Is who's going to start opposite of Brian Burns? And by the way, the offensive line's better. Both sides of the ball are are deeper. I think this is going to be the first year that you actually cut some good NFL players. I think the Panthers are in a good position here. So the the Panthers are plus four sixty to make the playoffs in twenty twenty two. And maybe this is a better way to put it. Who do you think has a better chance to make Charlotte's Charlotte Sports next playoff appearance? The Hornets or the Panthers? Because if you asked me this question three months ago, I, I would have said the Hornets. Since then, the Panthers have added Baker Mayfield. Since then, there was the insane coaching search, which went wrong in just about every possible way. It could go wrong. And then we don't know what's going on with Miles Bridges. I also think it's easier. Like, look at the path to the playoffs. Yes, Brooklyn, is, Brooklyn is, is seemingly falling apart at the seams. So that's one spot in the East that probably is going to, to drop back behind the, the uh, for the Charlotte Hornets. The rest of the East is still pretty loaded. I think in the NFC, I think the Panthers have a lesser road to hoe with the amount of quality teams in the NFC than they do in the East where I think Cleveland's gotten better. I think the New York uh, the New York Knicks are interesting. I don't know that I would say they got better. Detroit, who was behind the, the Hornets this last year, got better. The Panthers in the NFC it's it's three really good teams, starting with Tampa Bay, and then it's a bunch of maybes. Philadelphia is a maybe. Uh, Washington and New York are maybes in this division. New Orleans is the other maybe. You can go through almost every team. In the NFC, from the probably three best teams to the two worst teams, Seattle and Atlanta, and every team in between there, it's up for grabs. I don't think you can say that about the Eastern Conference, where it is going to be an uphill climb, and that's before we talk about whether Miles Bridges is going to be on the roster. So, Will Kunkel, Fox 46, says... He can't see the Panthers as a playoff team this year. He goes into the schedule as a reason. I disagree. I think that the schedule is a little bit easier than we realize. And more importantly, the Panthers are better than they were last year. But who do you think has a better chance to make Charlotte sports next playoff appearance? The Hornets or the Panthers? Willie P. Charlotte FC play-by-play guy talks about the blow-off win or blowout win for Charlotte FC this weekend on Sports Radio 92.7 FNC. The crowd belongs
1: to Charlotte on a thorough drubbing of Nashville.
0: 4-1 at Bank of America Stadium. Sports Radio 92.7 FNC, That call courtesy of Willie P. And the Charlotte FC Radio Network as heard right here on your home for Charlotte FC. Uh, Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ. But... You know, this week, we could not uh, say goodbye to the Nick Wilson show with the final five shows without having that man, the voice of Charlotte FC, an integral part of this show over the last couple of years. On the year, he is Willie P. He joins us now in studio. What's up, buddy? Uh, about two months co-host of the Nick Wilson show, right? It was, it was at least six weeks. I don't know. There's, it's so funny because there are just definitive like times that I, re- so I remember our time working together. It was very, very brief. It was very brief, but I do remember it and I know <laughs> that it happened, but there's so much has happened in four years here. Like people are like, Oh, what do you remember most about working with Josh? Mind you, I worked with Josh for two years. There were a lot of really funny things that happened with Hacky. but like, we were are, you gonna- tr- are you trying to say that I was not memorable? No, no, no. That no, no. I don't remember any of it. Okay. I am so traumatized by four great years here that my brain is like, listen, you loved it. It's, it has happened. But in trying to remember like specific things, uh, it's, it's not working.
1: Hacksaw trying to do
0: presidential trivia was the best for me. Yeah, it, really any of the uh, – because that was a great moment where you – like Parcel would occasionally try and like – like reel me in with hacksaw. Oh, come no. on, be nice, um, Stan. Would come on, be a little bit nicer. You were just like, I'm in it. Yeah. I was in on the bit. Yeah, and uh, so you helped me torture him. So yes, any of that. So, ooh, this is a good one. Stanford P wanted to see if we can get you to say Shinyashiki right out of the shinjashiki. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, all right. So Saturday night it was. It was a blowout. It was a butt kick in. Oh yeah. It was a laugher. In terms of how that, what do you think led to that performance for Charlotte FC? A lot of things because I think the one thing that we've looked at
1: over the course of the first six games of the Christian Latancio tenure is a lot of freedom. But I think for the first part of it, it was unharnessed freedom. That was probably the most complete performance we've seen from Charlotte FC all year under either coach. And, you know, the penalty goal given back notwithstanding, I do feel like that was one of the best defensive performances we saw from Charlotte FC in denying up uh, opportunities for one of the best strikers in all of MLS and Hani Mukhtar. Yes, he did earn a penalty against Harrison Offal, which I, I know we saw the replay back and, and it was a situation where Offal, you know, made a play where the ref had to kind of make a call. Was it an awful call? I don't yeah. think it was an off. I don't think it was an awful call. But I do feel like you could argue that it was dubious. That's not a foul in the middle of the pitch, I don't think. I yeah, think but
0: his name isn't dubious. That's why I wanted the
1: offense. I, I I I believe that. I I love Harrison, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make malaprops on his name. But I, I do feel like that was probably the most complete defensive performance from them and the fact and, and Latonjo said this after the game, that you had four different guys scoring and four different assist men as well over the course of that contest. I feel like it's a real testament to just how great this offense has developed over the course of this young season.
0: Another great game for Ben Bender. Mm-hmm. He feels like he's, he's kind of starting to get on the other side of whether we call it the rookie hump or whatever. It, Charlotte FC went out of their way when they drafted him to kind of remind us all, it's a lot to expect a kid that you draft, whether it's first overall, 12th overall from the first round or your first year in the MLS, it's a lot to expect him to be an impact player. Right. And, and, and the, yet yeah. he is, he is. So to you, I mean, does uh, di- should we start kind of revisiting long-term expectations for Ben Bender? Because he's been fantastic well, here.
1: Well, a lot of times you see these guys don't even play in their first year for sides when they're drafted. You know, the, the draft in MLS works differently than it does in the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. It works probably similar to what Major League Baseball is. Sometimes it's a buy-and-hold prospect. But if it's a really good kid, it's a guy who's first overall. A lot of times there's a lot of pressure to play him. And there was pressure to play him right away because of the way he started against D.C. United in his first couple of games. He he came in with a little bit of fire. But the problem is the physicality of the league kind of caught up to him. Uh, He hit, like you said, a little bit of a rookie wall and probably needed a couple of games to kind of revisit and recalibrate. And he came into that game on Saturday and he was like shot out of a cannon. He had a different energy and feel about him. Uh, we felt him against Seattle. We felt him against Vancouver. Really hadn't felt him since that point. And as a result, I do feel like after these couple of games, seeing Quinn McNeil get a little bit more of that type of moxie that we saw from him, I think it's a similar situation going on with McNeil is that he needed some time to develop as an undrafted free agent rookie. And you're seeing these two guys develop at the same position. I think they could be a very great midfield tandem for years to come for this side because they are now getting used to the physicality of this league, which we talk to people who are in this league for the first time all the time, and they say, I was not prepared. I did not know how physical this league was going to be. And he did it against one of the more physical teams in the league last uh, Saturday in Nashville.
0: Was that Ben Bender's best performance in the MLS to date? I don't know if it's his best just because it was so short, but I think it was,
1: his, it was his best phase of play, his best 20-minute phase of play we've seen for him in a long time.
0: Will Pelagic here in the studio with Nick Wilson uh, as part of the uh, the final ride? Is that what we're gonna call the? Is that does that make sense? The final ride I for see, the. Re- I the- see,
1: which which wrestler was the last ride? Was that Undertaker? That was
0: yeah. The last ride that feels like I'm dying. The final yes. well, I guess final finality is yeah. You know what? We'll work on it. I like final can, ride.
1: Who's gonna write the Nick Wilson WFNZ obituary?
0: Should it be me? Yeah, there's nobody that's gonna say anything nice. Anybody Fitty's chomping at the bit there, uh, as if he can finally get revenge for me calling him Anybody Fitty in the first place, or c- trying to call him Otis for a little bit. He's still pretty pissed off about that one. Uh, <laughs> Willie, looking to. Let's go with Swiderski. He finally ends his scoring drought. Can we expect him to start scoring on a more consistent basis going forward?
1: That, that's, a, that's a hard thing to expect, but Saturday was a very big moment for him because he had been very, very close. We saw the, the development of the burgeoning relationship between him and his countryman, Camille Josviak, start in the game against Houston. It was furthered. He had a very similar header in that Houston game that came his way from, I believe it was Yordi Rayner who had that cross and uh, really just was so, so close. Uh, But we saw a much greater service from him uh, in that contest against uh, Nashville, and he was not making any mistake this time around. It was really great to see that goal happen. I really think you saw a release of emotion from him when he got, you know, the goal celebration there in the stands. I don't know if you saw it with with the guys inside the supporter section throwing. It was really, really cool to see, and I think – You know he had taken a lot of stick from fans, and I think a lot of it's deserved. But I think a lot of it also is just this is the the hardest thing when you have a sport and a position where your salt terminator is goals scored, and as a result, when the goal drought happens, and it happens for every striker, it can kind of get mental with you. So I do feel like we are going to see some better things from Svidersky. I don't know if it results in you know a twenty goal season from here on out, but I do feel like. You are going to see a much more relaxed and more daring Carol Sviderski after what we saw on Saturday against
0: Nashville. Anytime you can get good service and a release at the same time, you really can't ask for more than that. Willie. That's what he needs. I got to ask you here. Uh, The big talk of town the last seven days has been Fat Andy, Jessica Charmond's dad. Were you able to meet
1: Fat Andy? I didn't see. I, I saw him from a, a distance because we we walked. You know, we all walk out together, and she had to go and find Fat Andy in the vault in mm-hmm. the in the uh, the little section there in the middle of, middle of the stadium.
0: Is he fat, or is that just a name?
1: I think it's a. I think it's a, just a name because I okay. even saw some pictures of him, and he is he is no more fat than you or I. So okay,
0: it, so it was so, so he's not American fat, but he no. might be. You might, know, English might, fat. Might be, might be British fat. Okay, British fat. That's but, but, but he's, he, he, you
1: know, I heard him this morning on the Mac Attack, and he sounds, he, he sounds, it sounds like he comes from the same gene pool as Jess. I'll just say it like that, because they're both. Well, that makes they, sense. They both got a little moxie. They yeah. both got a little moxie to them. So,
0: what I was a little bit disappointed when I heard Fat Andy on the morning show, because I was really hoping for like, uh, one, I didn't hear any curse words, right. so I really felt let down by that, because English people are so much better at cursing than, than Americans are. It's
1: weird. The one time I went over to, to London, they were all like, we want to hear you guys do it, which was odd. I was just like, I thought you guys are like the, the major league cursers over there, but apparently not.
0: Uh, then, uh, uh, don't shatter those illusions, but I actually think, like, Jess does a pretty good job of making fun of you. I think you've got to find a way to get Fat Andy on your side because – he does a really good job of making fun of her, so he he could be instead of you trying to clap he, back at her. You're saying Fat Andy can be an ally. Yes, you you need this is exactly what you need because Jessica is really good at the Willy P put downs. Yes, so just it's a phone a friend. Every time <laughs> she puts you down, th- there's just like a button you can press. Fat Andy calls in and makes fun of her, and then you know you're even. Well, he's also probably got more ammo on her. That I mean, she,
1: I, I I come as a person who has a lot of ammo that you can poke fun at. With regards to my personality, you make fun of my food takes, et cetera, and so on. So I, she makes fun of the fact that I use throat coat for half the game, et cetera, mm-hmm. and so on. Shut up, Fiddy. Uh, so it's you know, I, I got I to gotta get some better Jessica Charman I got to
0: get some better Mad Cat ammo. So I think what it is is you're too nice. That's what it is. I think you've got plenty of ammo. You've worked together for three or four months. You're just too nice. I have no conscience. <laughs> Jessica has very little conscience when it comes to make fun of other people. That's why it's almost like the idea of I don't want to see you sully yourself to get even with her. I want to see you find somebody to sully themselves to get even uh, so, with her. So, so it's so, so it's basically
1: siphoning the blow a different direction.
0: So yes, so. yes, it is. It is. You can still claim moral high ground. While leveling her back with some sort of uh, retort, crazy. So allow me, allow me, sir, to ask you: What was your favorite tweet I sent out from your account? <laughs> Just be honest. Was it the chocolate chip, jo- chocolate chip pancakes no, tweet, the, or was it the rock chalk jam no, no, tweet? No,
1: no, the, no. The, it was the Josh Marlowe Met fan tweet because. Trying to say that somebody who used to be a St. Louis Cardinals fan is a better Met fan than me. We had Ooh. a deal about it's a, that. It's a bunch of garbage. We had a Ooh. deal about
0: my former St. Louis Cardinal fandom, Willie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he used and to be a Panthers fan too, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, what else did you used to be a fan of? You. <laughs> <laughs> Walked right into that one. Didn't even need Fat Andy and phone a friend. <laughs> Willie, uh, you're kicking ass right now, man. I'm so proud of you, and I do appreciate you, buddy.
1: All love, my friend. All love.
0: Follow this man on the Twitter machine at Willie P. Style. We'll get more into Charlotte FC's dominating victory as we go on. But word on the street about Miles Bridges next on Sports Radio 92.7 FNZ.